Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, how are we doing? Everybody doing all right? We good? Happy New Year to you. If I haven't seen you since the first, which unless you're in my family, I may not have seen you. But uh, Happy New Year to you. I hope you had an incredible Christmas and a, and a happy new year, and, and you celebrated, and you're excited about already uh, all that God may do in 2019, and hopefully you haven't had any, any bad days, or too many bad days in the first few of 2019, uh, but I am, you've already seen, I'm sure, but I'm so excited about what I believe God is going to do, and you heard it just a minute ago, but so let me just kind of hit it one more time. We start today 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I'll talk about the prayer moments in just a second, but I want to invite you to join us in fasting. Maybe you've never fasted before. Uh, maybe you have, but you're not really sure like even where to jump in or where to start. Uh, you don't have to make it too difficult. Really, here's my definition of fasting. Fasting is giving up something to focus your time on God. Just giving up something to focus your time and attention on God. What you do when you fast, and, and I'm a big believer in fasting because you're telling yourself, you're telling your body, and you're telling the enemy that you can sacrifice, you can abstain from something to focus your time and attention on God, to say to God, nothing is more important than you. So you don't have to do a total food fast. It doesn't mean that you can't eat from now until almost February. That's not what I'm asking you to do unless you feel God leading you to do that. And, and I would encourage you to you know, seek your doctor's wisdom if that's something you feel, or if you really know the Lord's leading you to do that, then, then obviously you, you obey in that. But maybe it's not a total food fast, but maybe it is, it is, it is a food fast, right? Maybe you are just addicted to sweets or soft drinks or coffee or whatever, and you go, I don't think I can make it through the day without coffee. And some of you already, your elbow and your spouse, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But maybe you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to prove to myself, to my body, and to God that I can do it, that I can sacrifice something, that I can abstain from something to show God that he is the most important thing to me. And every morning when you would get your cup of coffee, Maybe you just kind of sit down and go, God, right now, this is the moment that that caffeine would be hitting my, my blood right now. And so, Lord, would you be my energy today? Would you be my source? Maybe it's not food for you for a variety of reasons. Maybe you don't feel like that's the direction you should go. Maybe it's a behavioral fast. Maybe you would fast from social media. That's not in the Bible, right, for obvious reasons. Abraham Lincoln told us because, you know, the Internet was still being developed there in the Old Testament. But... Uh, that's funny. That's fine. You'll get that later. The idea being that maybe you say, hey, I'm addicted to Instagram or Facebook. Or, man, I, my screen time report on my phone now tells me I'm on three or four or five or six or seven hours a day on average. And so maybe you say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to abstain from you know, some type of behavioral thing. Maybe there's something else that you believe that God may be leading you to. I encourage you to join us during these 21 days. Join me and Corey and our kids. Our kids are fasting some things. And join us in these 21 days and just see what God might do. If you show God and you prove to God and you prove to yourself that you really can abstain and give up some things to focus your time and attention on him. And then also you've heard already a couple of different times, but beginning tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. here uh, at Canton Church, 6 to 7, we're going to be one hour. We'll get you out of here on time, I promise, so you can get to school or work. Uh, Saturday mornings we'll meet at 8 a.m. And then on Sundays we won't have a separate time. It'll just be our two Sunday services together. Uh, but I'm encouraging you to come and join us. I know for some of you that's like an ungodly hour. But we're going to redeem that hour for God, right? No, so here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. Maybe you can't make every day. I'm asking you if you can to come and join us. I'm going to be here every single day, Lord willing. That's, I'm going to be here. So if it's just me, 
I'm going to be here at 6 a.m., and I want you to come and be with me. But maybe you say, well, there's no way I can do it where I work. Where... Maybe you say, I'm going to commit to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to commit to Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Maybe I can only commit to Saturdays. Maybe I'm just going to join you from a distance in my car as I commute somewhere else that makes it impossible. But I'm asking you to make a commitment, whatever that commitment is for you personally, and then honor that commitment. I'll be here on Saturdays. I'll be here every Wednesday or every Friday. Whatever that is, join us for what I believe is going to be a powerful time of prayer together. You know, there's a lot of ways that we could go on this first Sunday of 2019. I know that. There's a lot of ways that we could spend our time here in God's Word. But I really want us to kind of take the direction that I've been focusing on over these last few days. I've been very reflective. Uh, I, I tend to get that way at the end of a year, in the beginning of a year, as I focus on, you know, what worked in 2018? Maybe you had that same thought. What was working? What, what happened that was good? What, what could I ask God to just kind of add to or multiply in my life in 2019 that worked in 2018? Maybe you say, well, I, there were some things in 2018 I want to subtract. I want to take those things out. And so what was, what was happening? What was good? What was bad? And, and really where that leads us is to that place of making resolutions or making goals. Or maybe you've kind of written those off. Uh, but some kind of I want to reprioritize time. I want to do those things. And it really kind of ends up in a few categories, doesn't it? I want to spend less. I want to save more. I want to work out more. I want to eat you know, more of the good things and less of the bad things. But is it just me or do all the good things taste bad? I don't know why that happens. But if somebody could invent really good food for you that also tasted good, I think I would be on board with that. But so far, I just can't really get on board with that so far. Uh, but no, I've been thinking about it. I've been reflecting. And, and I thought about what resolutions really are. I think resolutions, to their very core, are these hope-filled dreams for our lives. Because you're thinking about changing behavior or seeing new things happen that are out in front of you. You don't really know what the, the future holds. And so it's hope-filled dreams. Well, we're in good company in that because the idea of hope is something that even the Bible uses to define one of the central tenets of our faith. And that word is faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see. And when I read that, I'm confronted with the idea that, like, how are you confident in something that you hope for, right? My kids went to bed on Christmas Eve hoping for some things, but I don't know that they were super confident yet that they were going to get those things, right? And so they were hopeful about them. They, they weren't assured that they were going to get them. We, I, I've told you, and you can go back and listen to our podcast, you know, we, we tend to try to scare our kids a little bit leading up to Christmas. Like, we just don't know if we're going to get any gifts this year. We're just not really sure it's in the cards. You know, we just, we just want to keep them on their toes is really what we want them to do. We want them to go to bed on Christmas Eve scared to death, and then we want them to wake up on Christmas Day really excited about whatever it is that we get them. So, uh, but no, the, the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance in what we do not see. I, I, I don't know, for me... Sometimes I tend to, to slip into skepticism. If I'm hoping for it, but I haven't yet seen it, but I see it in other people, like I see God doing for someone else what I'm praying that God would do for me, I, I tend to get a little skeptical because I go, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you say God's doing that for you, but I don't know that that's how God works. I, he's not done that for me. I haven't seen it like that. You know, I haven't read that in the Bible. I'm not really sure. And so I get very skeptical. I told Corey, over the Christmas break, we spent Christmas Day with, you know, our immediate family, us and the kids. And then my family came into town on the 26th. 
and they spend a few days with us. It's, it's my dad and my stepmom and my brother and his wife and, and kids. And so we had a great time over several days and, uh, and had a great time. But here's what I realized after a few days of family being there. Some of you probably recognize this uh, as well when your family came. A few days with family, that, that's enough. I mean, that's just going, I love you. I love you so much. Uh, but let's just be distant friends. Let's just, let's just kind of see one another on holidays. Because there, after a couple of days, I just went to Corey, and unprovoked, she had not asked for it, but I said to her, I am so sorry. If in any way I inherited any of the things that my family has that annoy me about them, if I'm taking those things and now you know, projecting those into our relationship. So I apologize. And, and one of those things that just annoyed me all the entire time that my family was there was my brother. Not in general. I mean, sometimes, yes, when we were children, he annoyed me completely. But now it's just little times. It's just little, little moments in the conversation where I would say something that I knew to be true in my life. But because he didn't know exactly how that would come to be, he'd kind of give you that look like... I mean... It kind of was like, are you sure? This is what he was trying to project. But it comes across like, you're an idiot. I don't really <laughs> think that's possible. And I'm like, no, I, I know it to be, I've experienced it. I, I know that's what happened. How could you be skeptical of something I did? Leave, get out of my house. That's really what I wanted to say. And so I went to Corey and I said to her, if I ever look at you that way, when you tell me something that you know to be true, and I just can't in my male brain figure out how that's possible that that could happen, if I ever do this in any, in, in, like any iteration, like if it just kind of tilts, just, a little, just hit me, just hit me in the shoulder and just say, you're turning into your brother. And I'll stop, I promise, and I'll repent. And so, you know, I just... I don't know how you're confident sometimes in the things that you don't see, that you're assured of those things that you hope for. And so as we begin this year, this first Sunday of 2019, I really want to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 11. Over these next few weeks, I want us to look at some incredible faith-filled stories and really help us to find the faith to do some big things. I believe these next four weeks could be an incredible time for all of us of really seeking God and asking God to grow our faith. And so this morning I want to talk to you about something that's a little different. This idea of the faith to give up. The faith to give up. So many times when we think about faith, we think about getting something new. We think about doing something new. But I want us to talk a little bit this morning about the faith to give up. Hebrews chapter 11 is a really famous chapter in scripture because it's filled with the stories of some of the Old Testament saints. It's really filled with some incredible stories of the heroes of our faith, those men and women who trusted God for big things and saw God do some big things in and through their lives. And so we are able then to take those stories and apply them to our lives and go, if God ever did it for them, perhaps, just maybe, he could do it for me. It's called the Hall of Faith by some people, but it is some incredible stories, and we're going to pull a few of those over these next few weeks Today, I want us to start with the story of Abraham, Father Abraham. This is a very famous man in Scripture, a very famous man in our faith for several different tracks of faith, those in uh, Judaism and those in Christianity, as we really track what God may be doing through Father Abraham, through the Old Testament, to bless the nations of the world. And then for us, as we come to understand that we get to be a part of the promise of God through Father Abraham to, to establish in him and through him to become a people and to become a great people and to become a nation, even though at one time there was not really a nation, there was just Abraham and his wife Sarah. 
And so we come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, and we come to this place in the story where Abraham has been called by God to go to a new place. And so when we get to uh, that story, you know, I think as a husband, how I would have delivered the news to my wife. We've, we've moved in our life, and so I've had to go to court and say, hey, I really feel like God's calling us to leave or calling us to go or calling us to a new place. And, and Abraham had to do that to his wife, Sarah. But when he did it, he lacked the one thing that all wives need, details. Because God said to Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to go. And Abraham said, okay, where are we going? And God said, I'll tell you when you get there. Imagine that conversation when he tells Sarah that in the tent. Like, hey, we're going to go on a trip. And she's like, well, where are we headed? I don't really know. We're just going to pack all of our stuff and just leave. And then if that wasn't enough, like, then God says, I want to make you a great nation. And he's like, well, we're old. Like, we, we, how are we going to become a nation? We can't have children. We're really, really old. God says, no, I want to birth a new thing in you. I want to birth the promise through you. I want to birth through the promise Isaac. They got in a hurry. They tried to do things their own way, and Ishmael was born. But when Isaac comes, he is the promise. He is the, the seed of the promise. God did something special through Abraham and through Sarah. And then if that wasn't enough of an amazing story, we come to verse 17 of Hebrews 11, and it says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had, been received, who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, there's so much I could unpack here this morning, but a few things that I thought would help us as we step into 2019, what I'm believing could be the best year that you've ever experienced in your whole life, the best year you've ever lived. This story is about the fact that God had given Isaac to Abraham as the promised child, and then God asked him to do something unbelievable. He asked him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice and to actually kill him off. And when I think about that, I, I, I am confronted with what if God would have asked me to do that? I'm not sure that my faith is strong enough for God to ask me to do something that crazy. And so as I was reading through this passage, I came to that very first sentence that we were in there, verse 17, the second part. It says this, it says, when he was tested, when he was tested. And so then I'm confronted with, okay, well, what role does a test play? And then I thought, you know what, maybe the writer of Hebrews put that in because he had the full context the writer of Hebrews understood the whole story, so he knew that Abraham would go and try to offer Isaac, and God would supernaturally intervene, but maybe that's not how the story played out. And so I jumped all the way back to Genesis 22, and I encourage you today, if you don't have anything to do this afternoon, the Falcons aren't playing, they're done, uh, and so you can just kind of go home and just read through Genesis 22. Don't get mad at me. They did it. I didn't call the play. So Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1 and 2, this is what it says. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So right in Genesis 22, in the very passage where we are introduced to this story right up front, it's not just the writer of Hebrews, we are told that God tested Abraham. Now, that can be a little bit unsettling to some of us because when I think about tests, i got to be honest, I hate them. I've always hated them. When I was in school and they told me it was test day, I got a little bit of anxiety. Like every single time. 
It wasn't that I wasn't a good student. I made pretty good grades. But like tests gave me a little bit of anxiety. I've got two middle-aged sons. Uh, middle-aged. I got two middle school. <laughs> I'm much older than I look. Much older. I've got two middle school age sons, and when they have tests, they get a little bit nervous. I don't like tests. When I go to the doctor and they say, hey, we want to run a few tests, I'm like, I'm going to get a second opinion. I don't really think you know what you're talking about. When I go to take my car to get an admissions test, I am convinced I'm going to fail every time, and I probably am. I, I drive an 04 Durango, and so I get out of that car, and I just start laying hands on it as I'm getting, dear Lord, a father of heaven. Rain down, emission-free, driving right now. And the guy's like, sir, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just making sure the hood's closed. Just making sure the hood. I hate tests. I hate them. I hate them. And yet what I read here in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis 22 is that God tested Abraham. Now here's the problem. Almost every time in my life when I have walked through a test that I felt like had spiritual significance, I blamed it on the enemy. Almost every time. But what I've come to realize is that the tests that we go through in school were actually a part of the teaching process. Now, I told you about my middle school boys. There have been times in their past, not currently, but there have been times in their past when they were convinced that a teacher gave them a test to try to prove that they were stupid, right? They were just trying to fail them. Dad, you don't understand. She's trying to fail me. No. No good teacher worth their salt is trying to fail you when they give you a test. They're trying to see what you've learned. And so if you fail, it means that you have not yet learned what you need to know. If they test you on chapter 7 and you don't yet know chapter 7, they need to know that before they move on to chapter 8. They want to make sure that you have learned what they've been teaching before they try to teach you something new. Now some of us, we're walking into 2019 saying, God, give me something new. Do something new in me. Give me a new vision. Give me a new dream. Give me a new revelation. Teach me something in this year. And I wonder if God, having seen the way that we've responded to the tests of our past, may say, hey, 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 you haven't yet learned what I needed to teach you back there, so I can't teach you something new because you need to go back and relearn what I've been testing you on that you haven't yet learned. And so as I think about that, I wonder, what is the purpose of a test? A test is about teaching. I really believe that a test is about teaching. So if the enemy is not always the one testing us, then what does the enemy do? Sometimes the enemy will tempt us. He did that even to Jesus. The 40 days of fasting that we see early in the, the time in the ministry, the collection of stories that we have about Jesus' life. During those 40 days, kind of at the conclusion of those 40 days, the enemy takes Jesus and tempts him. And, and now what is a temptation? A temptation is really to trick you. It's not to teach you like a test. A temptation is to trick you. The enemy tried to twist the truth and twist the words to Jesus to make him believe and make him do something that was not true. It's like you and I being set down in the middle of the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve. And while we could have everything that was in front of us, everything around us, all that had been created, it's the enemy trying to make us focus on the one thing that God has said not to participate in. Don't go to that tree. Don't eat of that fruit. And the enemy tries to twist that just enough through temptation to trick us, to cause us to focus on something that God has asked us to abstain from. So the enemy doesn't always test us, but he may tempt us to try to trick us. And other times, instead of these one-off temptations, sometimes the enemy may use trials. He may use trials. Now, what is a trial? I've been to court a few times. 
And when I go to those, I am confronted with the idea that oftentimes a trial is used to try to trap you. You find yourself on the stand and the prosecutors, they're trying to twist your words and use your words. Where were you? When did you show up? Who saw you there? Right? So that even though you and I, as spiritual beings, as sons and daughters of God, we find ourselves living in the freedom that God has called us to and created us in, the enemy is trying to trap us in a trial so that he can keep us trapped away from the loving Heavenly Father that wants to spend eternity with us. He wants to trap us in an eternity away from God. And so it might look like something like this. Testing is about teaching. Tempting is about tricking. And trials are about trapping. And when I look at that, I recognize that when I see it this way, then I would go, well, the enemy would not try to test me because why would the enemy try to test me to teach me that I don't yet depend enough on God? That, that's not what the enemy's going to try to do. He's going to try to use one of these other tricks to get my attention and to take my focus off of what it is that God would want to do and say to me. And so God tests Abraham, and this is how he does it, Genesis 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now, when God is testing you, I believe he's not going to ask you for something that you have in plenty and for something that you hate. Because that's not really a test. If God's going to test you and ask you to give something up, he's going to ask you for something that's scarce and something that you love. We talked earlier about the 21 days. There's 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're starting the year with. Maybe you would participate in a fast with us. And here's what I know about me and fasting. In the times that I've fasted, if it's fasting food, God has not one single time ever. I've asked him. I've begged and pleaded with God. He's never asked me to fast Brussels sprouts or figs or salads. Not one time. I've said, God, please, I'll give up figs. I've never eaten one, but I'll give them up. I, I will. Every single time I've said, God, please. And he never asked me to do that. You know what he asked me to give up? Whoppers. Can't you just smell the char grill right now as if you're driving down Highway 5? Like, you can just smell it. I mean, you, that, that's the greatest stretch of highway in the world, isn't it? You pass Williamson Brothers and then Burger King. I mean, oh, my gosh. God asks me to give Whoppers up. You know what else he asked me to give up? Mexican food. Thank you. Right? Somewhere in the translation of prayer, I say figs. He says fajitas. I don't know how that happens. I don't know. But I'm like, God, please, I will give it up. Figs. He says, give up fajitas. Because I love them. If God's going to test you, God's going to ask you to give up something that you love. And that's what he does. He tests Abraham and he says, give up your only son. It's not like he had 20 sons and he could just choose the one he loved the least. Give up your only son whom you love. Whom you love. God always asks us for something that would be painful. As you contemplate participation in these 21 days, I wonder if you can answer this question. Do you have the faith to give it up? Do you have the faith to give it up? I don't know what it is for you. But I promise you it's probably something that you love and it's probably something that's scarce in your life. It's probably something that you hold dear to you. You could have come to the altar and prayed a hundred times. Maybe you've cried a thousand times 
about so many things. But whatever you've given up to God, you've held this one thing or these two things or these few things over in the corner of your heart. And you said, no, 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 I'm holding this for myself. This is, this is just mine. This is from, I, I can't, I can't give this to you, God. I, maybe you've tried. And then before God even takes it away, you take it back. And you hold, no, no, I don't, I don't really have the faith to give it up. When I come to moments like this, I, I come to those places where I'm confronted with what it is that I might still be holding on to that I'm unwilling to let go of. Maybe in your life, it's a relationship. There's comfort there. It, it's stability for you, security for you. But you recognize that this relationship is not God-honoring. It's not growing your faith. It's not building you up in the Lord. You've, you've felt time and time again the Lord to say, walk away, get out of this, and you've just un- been unwilling to do so. Maybe it's a habit, an addiction, a behavior. And you say, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm strong enough to walk away. I'm, I don't think I'm strong enough to give it up. I, I don't think I can. Maybe, maybe it's harboring emotions of unforgiveness or bitterness or hurt or pain from something in your past. And you say, I can't, I can't give up that hurt. That's what fuels me. I can't give up that unforgiveness. Then I'd actually have to forgive them. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. Do you have the faith to give it up? Matthew chapter 19 is an incredible story of a young man that comes to Jesus and asks him a hard question. It says this beginning in verse 16. Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what must, good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Let me just tell you right there. That's a tough question to ask God because I promise he'll have an answer. And Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, when I read that passage, I don't read it as an indictment against riches. I don't think that that verse really, that passage really has much to do with wealth other than that was the it for that young man. I have preached all of my adult ministry that if that young man had gone and done what Jesus asked him to do, go and sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and come and follow me. When he walked back to Jesus, Jesus might have handed him an envelope with his money in it. Because it wasn't about his money, it was about his heart. It was about his priorities. What is it that this young man valued more than God? What is it that if God asked you to give it up and come and follow me, you would walk away sad because you had fill in the blank? If God said to you, get rid of that relationship, you would walk away sad because you, you, you can't. You don't want to. Give up this addictive behavior. You would walk away sad because you, you, you can't. You don't want to. You're not sure you have enough faith and strength to do it. I believe that great wealth was this young man's it. Do you have the faith to give it up? What is it that God may be asking you to give up as you step into 2019? As you step into this new year and you're believing and hoping for God to do new things, what is it that God may be asking you to do? 
Instead of gaining something new, what if God is saying, the key to unlocking everything that I have in front of you this year is actually you giving up something? And so when I think about that, I come to the one key that I believe will change everything for all of us. It's found here in Hebrews eleven nineteen, the end of the story. <clears throat> said he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And when I read that, I think, man, if you're an English teacher, that's a terrible run-on sentence. Like, what does that even mean? So then I go to Genesis chapter 22, where the original story is found, and I read this. He, Abraham, said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. When I read that, I recognize that Abraham had solidified in his heart that God had already promised him Isaac. And now if God was asking for Isaac, it must mean that God was going to change his mind. God, when, when Isaac, Abraham and Isaac got to the top of the hill and Isaac, Abraham started to try to sacrifice Isaac, little did they know that there would be a ram who came up the other side of the mountain and caught his horns in a thicket so that they could find him. That's how the story played out. I don't know that Abraham knew that, but there was a resolve in his heart that if that's not how God chose to do it, and Abraham actually had to kill Isaac at the top of Mount Moriah, that somehow God was supernaturally going to raise him back to life so that me and the boy will go worship, and then we will come back. There was a resolve in his heart that God keeps his promises. Now, when you read that, you might think, well, yeah, that's great. We will worship. But Abraham said that knowing that worship was not getting together and singing three songs at the top of the mountain. It was to go and sacrifice, to give away the one thing that was his prized possession, his one and only son. What an incredible foreshadowing to the story of God loving you and I so much that he would send his one and only son and sacrifice him so that you and I could find life in Christ. Abraham said, the boy and I, We'll go over there. We will worship. And then either God's going to do something special and change the story, or I'm going to kill the boy and God's going to raise him back to life and we will come back. We will come back. Now, when I think about that, I think about, man, that's a powerful promise. But what happens if you don't have that kind of assurance? What happens if you don't have that same kind of confidence? And quickly, before we close, I want to go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is the amazing story of those young Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. This story, King Nebuchadnezzar had asked everybody to bow down to the graven image that he had created of himself whenever the sound of trumpets blew. The music sounds, everybody bows down. Well, these three Hebrew boys stay standing. King Nebuchadnezzar gets word. He brings him to the palace. He says, hey, you probably didn't hear. Here's the rule. Music sounds, you bow down. Music sounds, they stay standing. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance. Then I'm going to throw you into the blazing furnace. Music sounds, they stay standing. And this is what they say. Now, when I read this, I, I'm, I'm familiar with this story. I heard it in children's church my whole life. I'm not sure how you tell this story to kids and not make it sound amazing, right? I want to be on the side of the guy that throws people into the fire. But, no, 
when I read this story now, what I recognize is the faith of these three Hebrew boys to say, God's going to deliver us. Me and the boy, we will go. We will come back. God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. See, it's easy for us to try to make faith a transaction with God. For us to say to God, God, if you will do this, then I'll do this. God, if you promise to raise him back up, I'll sacrifice the son. But that's not faith. That's a negotiation. Faith is not an if-then transaction. Faith is an even if not. That's what we're saying. It's not saying, God, if you'll do this, then I will do this. No, 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 no. You're saying, God, I believe you will. I know you can. But even if you don't, I will obey. Even if you don't, I will trust in you. Even if you don't, I'll take my prized possession, the one and only son that you've given to me through the promise. I'll take him to the top of the mountain and I will do the unthinkable because I believe that's what you're asking me to do. God, even if you don't, I'm not going to bow down to something that's not you. Yeah, they're, they're threatening me with fire. They're threatening me with death. I believe you can. I know you can. You can deliver us. But even if you don't, I will stop compromising myself. God, I believe that you want to give good things to me. But even if you just ask me to give something up this year, like I'm willing, I'm willing to do it. I want to show you this amazing picture. Often when God is asking us to give up something, like a prized possession, we say, but God, I love it. And we don't even recognize that he's got something even greater for us. But God, I, I love what I'm holding. He said, no, but if you'll let it go, I've got something even better. And I believe this is how God works. I believe God is a loving heavenly father that wants to give good gifts to his children. But what I'm saying to you today is even if this part of the picture behind Jesus' back didn't exist and he asks you to give it up, you've still got to give it up. It could be that the key to unlocking all that God has for you in 2019 is saying, God, I believe you can. God, I know you can. I hope that you will. But even if not, I've got the faith to give it up. So here's how we're going to conclude today. We're going to pray in just a second. And we're going to ask God to help us. For those of us that have never made a decision to follow in relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to start this year off right and enter into the family of God. For those of you that that's not the issue for you, I, I want us to pray, and if God is leading you to give something up, that you would have the strength and the faith to be obedient. And then in just a moment, after we conclude that, we're going to take communion together. And we're going to consecrate ourselves and consecrate this year and say, what might God do? I'll tell you what he did. He sent his one and only son whom he loved, Jesus, to come to the earth and to be the once for all time sacrifice for all of us. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I, I know that I am not in relationship with Jesus Christ and today I want to make that change. I want to trust in him and ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins and lead and guide my life from this moment forward. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. 
Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, nobody looking around, you would say to me, Jeremy, I believe God is asking me to give something up this year. I believe that there's something that I am called to give up that could be the key to unlocking all that he has for me. I've held on to it. I've prayed about it. Maybe I tried to do it before, but I am committed that if this is what God is asking for, I will do it, and I need God to give me the strength to. Would you lift your hand right now? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tons of hands. God, we love you today, and we thank you that you are a God who exceeds our expectations. You are a God who loves us, who wants more for us, that desires to do greater for us than we could ever imagine. And so, God, now I pray for every person in this place that acknowledges their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They acknowledge on this first Sunday of 2019 that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. God, would you forgive their sins through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and enter their lives as their Lord to lead and guide their lives from this point forward. God, we thank you that you can do that. And God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands today to say, I want to give something up. I believe God's calling me to. Perhaps it's a lifestyle, perhaps it's a relationship, perhaps it's an emotional uh, connection or attachment. Maybe there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness, there's anxiety, there's fear, and it binds us up. And so now we say, God, I give it to you. Replace it with whatever good things you have for my life. So God, we're asking you today, be great in this place. Be great in our lives. Let 2019 be the best year we've ever lived because there's nothing that's more important than you. And we start this year off by giving it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask our host to come and prepare to serve you now as we take communion. You're gonna hold these elements in your hand and we're gonna come and take these elements together. You can come and serve them now as you're ready. And as they do, here's what I want you to think about. God loved you so much that he did not withhold anything from you. He didn't withhold anything from you. He actually gave his prized possession, his one and only son, whom he loved dearly, because he loved you. And so today, in response to this message, in response to what God is doing, in response to what God might do this year, we're going to take communion together. Come on, you can serve them now. As you're being served, hold these elements in your hand. Let's sing this together. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, Before he went to the cross, Jesus sat with his closest followers, says that he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He was saying, I have enough faith to give it up for you. Today, as we take and eat, I encourage you, ask the Lord to do a work in you, give you the strength and resolve to do whatever it is that he's asking you to do. Let's take and eat together today. It says in the same manner he took the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. Nothing that you've done eliminates you from the love of God. 
His blood was shed to forgive you, to heal you, and I believe to give you the courage and the strength to do whatever it is that God's asking you to do this year. Let's take and drink together. God, we love you today. And I don't just say it as words, but I believe that this year could be the best year of our lives. I ask you to make it so. And if it means we've got to give some things up, we commit ourselves now to give you whatever you ask for. We won't hold anything for ourselves. It all belongs to you. We surrender it to you now. God, be honored in these 21 days as we fast and as we pray, asking the question, what might God do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.